It is football and other F words. The time loop edition, because Mike, I feel like we talk about the same shit, different day, every week. It is the same stuff and I'm kind of sick of. So we're going to kind of talk about that overarching theory. We're also going to talk about this the, a couple of narratives that I've found quite hilarious surrounding Ryan Tannehill, which is, again, feels like we're caught in a time loop. But we're going to narrow it down to uh, a few specific um, examples here. And we're going to talk about how there's no players. There's no hope for the 2022 Titans because there's no players that are coming that are going to be available off free agency, off of the waiver wire, off practice squads. That's going to change the outlook for this Tennessee Titans team. And we're going to talk about the one big thing versus the Texans uh, that's coming up on Christmas Eve. This is Football Under the F-Words. I'm Zach. He's Mike. You can follow him on Twitter at MikeCardinNFL. He's going to be writing about that slugfest of a Chargers game that is one of the weirdest games to watch on TV because it was the most boring game. And it it was just really hard to like really stay involved in the game. And you follow me on Twitter at EffortsPod. We're brought to you by Jaspers. They are the next evolution of Sports Bar. They're elevating the game two for one on Sundays. Football season, as it comes to a close, do not forget, you should still go to Jaspers for hockey games, for basketball games, all sports, be at Jaspers. Two for one on Sunday specifically. Get you some beer. Mike, you're going to be writing for Podkarski.com on Wednesday when this is released. Go check out that article. Then you also have the Mike Herndon Show. On Thursdays. So I feel like after watching this Chargers game and then you get on and you listen to the radio, you listen to the shows, you listen to and you read the articles, see all the stuff on Twitter. It's just the fucking same stuff every week. And I don't I know that that's all you can really talk about because you can only talk about what's happening on the field. But at the same time, I'm just like, I think I am as exhausted as the team looks and feels like they have Derrick Henry on press conferences talking about high energy and how the, the, the locker room is staying positive while he is looking like he has taken like three ambience before stepping up to the podium. Like, yeah, you, yeah you you're doing a great do job of convincing us that you guys are high energy. Yeah. He was just, you know, mumbling. Like you could barely hear him. I mean, it, you know, Henry isn't always the most like peppy, high energy guy, anyways. But this was particularly uh, just—it sounded like someone had like you know told him his dog died right before he stepped to the podium or something. It was—it was just—it was sad to watch, honestly. <laughs> well, that's how I feel that the this through this four game losing streak, something that has popped in to my head is that there aren't a lot of high energy guys. It feels like on this team that are at least your your leaders. I guess the guy that would be that is David Long. And there, I know there have been talks about that he's kind of like a, a dud or whatever. But from everything I've heard from people behind the scenes is like Danico Autry and David Long are these energetic spiritual leaders of this, not only just the defense of the team in general, like they set the tone, they get people pumped up and those guys have been missing. And it seems like there's nobody that is carrying in that it's like they have good leaders. So we talk about there's different kinds of leaders, right? We've, we've talked about that a lot on the show. It's like they have good leaders, but they don't have the right leaders for this particular moment in time. Is that fair to say you think? I, I really think you kind of got to look at it as like offense and defense, to be honest. Cause I do think like Jeffrey Simmons to me is a, is generally a high energy guy, especially on the field. 
Um, I think Long is too. Um, even like Kevin Byard to me, like I don't know. He looks like he's peppy. he's at, he's he's done. Like he's he looked not, like he was kind of at a loss after yeah. this game. Um, and to me, this was this was the game where the defense said, "Okay, you fuckers on offense." We had seven starters out, and we went on the road and held Justin Herbert to 17 points, and you could not win us the game. Like, we're done. Like, we're done. I, I just feel like the defense is just at a loss for what they can actually do. I mean, they hadn't played great the, the previous two games or whatever, but this was a game that they did play well and played way better than what the talent on the field probably should have performed, um, and they still did not get the win. So I do feel like there's been some depression. But who who were those guys on offense that were the high-energy guys? Taylor Luan and A.J. Brown the last two years, right? Both of them are gone. Like, both of them are not in the picture this year. So you've got just – there's not a lot of big-time energy guys. I mean, like, Henry is not that. Like, for all the leadership that Henry brings to the table, his personality is not one of, like – get guys fired up and go and every now and then you'll see it but it's rare it's always um, been his play that's done yeah. like the big plays the stiff arms which seem to be lacking this year those have always seemed to be the things that have gotten the team going and 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 you know really energetic i would say that chig who is a rookie is probably your closest guy right i mean even ben jones is kind of like a quirky kind of energy level kind of deal yeah. he's not like a rah-rah you know let's get going it seems like if if I guess I had to pick anybody, I think would Chig would be the closest, and I'm still not convinced that it's that he's even that. And it's like the team, the offense is filled with not not lackadaisical, but a, a certain lacking of energetic personalities. It's in not a, like the fiery guys. Yeah, there's no fiery guys, and that's something that John Robinson has put into this room. Right? Is like. It's a bunch of kind of bland people. Robert Woods isn't a fiery guy. Traylon Burks, for all intents and purposes, does not seem like a guy that would be really fun at parties to hang out with. <laughs> I mean, for lack of a better term, and you just don't feel like any of these guys really are, are really coming forward to step up and take this offense where it needs to go. And that includes Ryan Tannehill, of course. Uh, and I also think we we should say that, like, NWI could be as fiery as is all get out, you know, and he's not, but say, let's say he was, it's still not going to make him a good NFL receiver. Right. right? And, and I mean, that's the other part of this is your wide receivers in this game gave you almost nothing. I mean, it, it was, it, it was a situation where I think uh, Chris Conley led the wide receivers with 19 yards uh Robert Woods had 12 and Racy McMath had one yard uh so a grand total of 33 yards receiving from your four wide receivers that you played in this game uh which is pitiful so I mean they have one NFL wide receiver on the roster you know maybe well the other ones on IR possibly if if you want to count Kyle Phillips um but we'll probably not see him this year so just put him out of your mind for right now they have one NFL wide receiver on the roster and that's Traylon Burks and he keeps getting hurt um, not his fault necessarily. He got blasted in the face by an illegal hit. Can't really do anything about that, but like they desperately need him. Like he's the only guy that gives them any spark on offense. Uh, and he does change like the way teams can defend them to some degree. And so maybe when he comes back, you'll see a little something better, but he still don't, you're still going to have 
some crappy left tackle out there. You're still going to have a crappy left guard out there. You're still going to have a rookie right tackle who, like, I mean, I like MPF. I think MPF is going to be a good player for them, but he still is making major mistakes. Like, you see him just, like, almost go the entire wrong direction on one play and, and end up giving up a sack. Um, and technically, it was his guy that, that ended up hurting Tannehill again, which that was the original injury was technically his guy, too. Now, both of those plays – not necessarily on him uh, specifically, but it, you would hope that he would be your worst starting offensive lineman instead of your like third best or second best. By which the is end of really not saying much, right? Like, like it's really not saying much because if he's your, if it's if it's Ben Jones, Nate Davis clearly are the your two best. Yeah, I mean, how many rungs down on the ladder until you get to third best? Because it's like three or four rungs like it's gonna take three or four mpf has to elevate his game like three or four levels before he's on their level and oh, then yeah, for sure. and then you lower you keep on going down so it's like it's it's a compliment but not a compliment yeah yeah i mean it, it would be it would be i think this offensive line would be passable if he was the worst member of it yeah it is that's not the case obviously so and, and look we can it's talk not about changing. we can talk <laughs> I mean, about like, raiden's like raiden's was actually look a little bit better at left tackle, like very, 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 very small sample size, but he looked, he could move. I mean, uh, you know, that's, that's more than what Dennis Daly does. So um, I don't know, but of course he gets hurt. Who knows when he'll be back or if he'll be back or whatever. Like, uh, you know, at, at this point, given the way the season's gone, I'm just waiting for them to put him on IR uh, at the end of this week. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be shackled to Dennis Daly for the rest of time. Um, You know, I hesitate to say this on spec speculation, but to me, really, from a guy who has played sports um, for the majority of his life, you have to think that the defense is looking over at the offense and saying, and in a mind, like there is like either they're looking at the offense or they're looking at the coaching staff of the offense thinking, you guys are fucking trash. And you know, we I we know that the defense did not play well during three of those games. You could really say probably just two of those games. Yeah. But now they they have held Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert to like under twenty points each, if I'm not mistaken, right? Wasn't it, it was like nineteen sixteen for the Bengals game or they mm, barely 20, reached twenty twenty sixteen was twenty six well twenty so, points. Right I mean still yeah. I mean they they limit those two quarterbacks, those two offenses and do their job and the offense can't do anything. And you have to think at what point we we know the offense is due for a major overhaul, but what is going to have to be done this season for this team not to start imploding down the stretch because nobody knew the Jaguars had won apparently in the locker room until after the game was over. You know, they're, they're talking about now they have a sense of urgency because the Jaguars keep winning, which is, hello, you should have had a sense of urgency at some point during this whole, this whole season. And they're all talking about this stuff, and it's like there's. I feel like there's a lot of tension and depression, and I'm sure John Robinson's firing didn't help. But there's a lot going on in this locker room that we're probably not going to be privy to until someone is cut in the off season, and they talk about how great the new team is or something. Yeah, I, I don't know how they couldn't, uh, how the defense couldn't be bitching about the offense at this point because it's let them down consistently all year, I and mean, the defense is. 12th in points allowed um the offense is 26th in points scored 
Um, it's very clear where the major issues are. And, and the irony of the whole thing with the injuries is that most of the injuries have been on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you had Taylor Lewan, which obviously has been a massive, monstrous loss on offense just because of this the a huge chasm between him and Dennis Daly as, as left tackles. But, and of course, you've had Burks in and out of the lineup, and it's turned out that, hey, Burks was pretty irreplaceable for them. Um, because of this wide receiver room sucks so bad. Um, but most of the injuries have been on defense, and they still are stringing together some decent performances, and they're still 12 Oftentimes elite performances. Yeah, I mean, it, it, out of the last, what, uh, going back to week three, I think they've only allowed more than 20 points twice, and those were those two games against uh, the Eagles, which was just a runaway freight train, uh, and the Jaguars, which was largely due to the offense handing the Jaguars four fucking turnovers. So um, to me, you've got like one bad game against the Eagles, probably the best, you know, or one of the two or three best teams in the NFL anyways. Um, And that's it over like 10 or 12 games. And with all these injuries with Danico Autry in and out with Bud Dupree in and out with Jeffrey Simmons, dragging a leg uh, with David long out with Zach Cunningham out. I mean, Every single defensive starter besides uh, Kevin Byard and Roger McCreary at this point have missed multiple games, not just one game, multiple games this season. So they have had two guys that have been staples in the lineup. I was going through the injuries for this thing I'm writing for PK site. Six, at the end of this last Chargers game, six of the Titans' top seven cornerbacks heading into the season were injured at the end of this game. They were down to Roger McCreary, who's obviously the one healthy one, and then John Reed and Greg Mabin out there. I mean, even Terrence Mitchell is hurt at this point. Like, they are completely devastated with injuries, and they're still somehow getting out there and making plays and stopping Justin Herbert and doing all this against a healthy Chargers offense, by the way, besides uh, Rashawn Slater, I guess, would be the only starter that they had out. Um and I t- it's just so infuriating <laughs> that this offense cannot do more to make this defense. Well, doesn't that kind of speak, though, to the, the difference in the competence of the staff in place uh, for the defense versus the offense? Because I, I wrote about that in, in my thing uh, on Broadway Sports Media last week, the excusing the inexcusable, because I talk about why I don't think that Do- Downing is in line for a Bowen-like redemption story, and obviously, you know, there's, you know, Downing has had one year up ahead, if you include Las Vegas or slash Oakland, and his time there, but all the defense, or all the last two years, the big injuries have come on defense, and there's been some on offense, but a lot of the big ones are on defense, and when it happens... It's next man up, and and Bowen is able, and Bowen and Vrabel are able to pull something out of their ass to keep things going. To start back last year, when Greg Maben was like the best corner on the team versus Kansas City, yeah, and and Greg Maben shows you know shows up this week, and they they do a good job against uh, wide receivers. They have no business doing good jobs against for the most part, and they do all that they can. And then the offense, like you said, suffers one major injury, two major injuries, and they can't get out of their own way and can't overcome this. And to me, 
it's either a schematic thing, a coaching staff thing, all of the above, or really, when it comes down to it, the offense just doesn't have the talent and practice squad defenders are better than veteran wide receiver like Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook-Akine. And that's like Andrew Adams is just on a different level in his position than those two guys are at their position, which is a wild thing to say. But maybe at the end of the day, that's all it is. Yeah, I think at some level it comes down to the Titans want to be a running football team, right? Like they want to run the football first and foremost, and they don't have the offensive line to really do that successfully. They just, I mean, when you give this team an offensive line with Dennis Daly and you know Aaron Brewer, who is a good run blocker but cannot pass protect, um, you know, Ben Jones and Nate Davis are good players, and then Nicholas Petit Frere. It, it, that group is just not good enough to just sustain drives on the ground. There are going to be mistakes. There are going to be missed execution uh, errors. And it, it, this team becomes, it's such a tightrope to walk because if you have one error, and, and like this has been an issue for the Titans for a while now, and, and it's part of the problem with this philosophy. If you have one error, if you have one penalty, the drive is fucking over. Like it's over because as soon as it's second and 20, it's done. It's not. You're not picking it up. You don't have the horses to do it. Part of that is you don't have Traylon Burks who can make a big play for you. You don't have any wide receiver who can make a big play for you. Um, you know these last few games, and then you also, um, you know, you don't have a particularly dynamic quarterback. You know, Tannehill's good, but not necessarily a uh, um, game changer. Um, and then you've got an offensive line that can't hold up. So you can't have like a real drop back passing game because you can't block for it. So you just get boxed in at some point and like one mistake, your drive disappears. And, and it's just unrealistic to expect this team to play mistake free football or penalty free football um, over and over and over again. And like you only get like 10 drives a game, right? I mean, it, and when you have one or two offensive penalties that's killing like 20% of your uh, potential scoring uh, outputs. And then when you have a, a sack or two on, on, you know, some other drives, that's killing another drive or two because those are done. Like as soon as you get sacked, it's over. Like you're not converting uh, with this offense. So, and they were particularly terrible on third down in this game. And that really was probably the like biggest smoking gun to me as far as why they were, you know, unable to sustain and, and continue drives was, you know, three of 11 on third downs. Um, just not, that's not going to get it done, especially when especially you don't have third the explosive twos, passing game. Well, especially in third and twos when you take Derrick Henry or don't use Derrick Henry, you know. And that's super irritating too. You know, like I, I understand that's, a, that's Henry. the same thing every week though. Like that's, I feel like that's one of the things that we talk about, you know, more often than not is this, for the last two seasons, including this one and last year, was this team inexplicably not using Derrick Henry's short yardage situation? Yeah, and I don't understand why he's not at least on the field on third and two. Like, third and three, you know, maybe you're getting to the point where it's better to have a receiving back on the field. Um, but third and two, to me, and really maybe even third and three, I, I don't know. It, it, to me, that you're still your best chance is to either run the ball with Derrick Henry or at least use him as a decoy, um, you know, so that the, off, or that the defense has to respect so that you can run play action or, you know, 
if Tannehill had two healthy ankles for once, you could do, uh, you know, that read option or something like that. There are other, uh, you know, opportunities to take advantage of his skill set in that short yarded situation. But um, like, I, I totally get it in M4 taking him off on third and medium, third and long, that kind of stuff. That's a good spot to get his legs under him, that kind of thing. But yeah, it, it's asinine to me that you've got the best, like, you know, the biggest running back in the league and you're not going to use him on third and two, especially in the middle of the field where like you would probably go for it if it was fourth and one. Why not take two chances of running the football and make him make them stop him twice? You know, I, I just don't. I don't understand the mindset of of trying to drop back and play the passing game, which you're not good at and you don't have the wide receivers to do right now. Well, speaking of asinine, I want to switch over to these Tannehill narratives that I, I, I find both both of them to be completely asinine. Um, I think I'm going to start with the one that I have in front of me. And this is from uh, Kobe forever or forever on Twitter at Tufel Titan 09. And it's a it's quotation marks. What is Tannehill supposed to do if he's getting rushed every snap? And it shows a, a clip of Patrick Mahomes escaping the pocket and throwing this crazy pass down the field and it going completed and all this stuff from the Texans game this past weekend. And th- this has been a big um, thing for me that's been brewing. And I kind of let it slide, let it slide, let it slide. You've kind of mentioned it a few times on Twitter and here and there. And he's not the first one to say it. He's just the last one to say it. He's like the A.J. Brown versus the Eagles game. It's the straw that broke the camel's back. But this idea of showing clips of different types of quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, for example, that are on a totally different talent playing kind of level. And they and Patrick Mahomes is arguably the best quarterback, most talented quarterback since uh, Peyton Manning as far as or Aaron Rodgers. As far as arm talent, athletic ability, he's everything. I mean, he's art. You could arguably say he makes throws that no other human, including Aaron Rodgers, can make on the field. We see it all the time. Tannehill with two bum ankles is never going to be Patrick Mahomes. Tannehill with two good ankles is never going to be Patrick Mahomes. Tannehill with cybernetic ankles, unless they have rockets on them that shoot missiles at the defenders is never going to be as good as Patrick Mahomes. It is literally impossible for Ryan Tannehill at this stage in his career to be expected to be better than Patrick Mahomes. And it makes no sense why people waste their time trying to compare him to Patrick Mahomes when it's it just was never feasible. Look, what Pat, what Ryan Tannehill did in 2019 and 2020 was fan-fucking-tastic. It was elite-level quarterback play without being an elite-level talent. And I think that's where people are misconstruing these comparisons is that Ryan Tannehill has never been confused for an elite-level talented quarterback that can elevate the talent around him. Patrick Mahomes went to the best-case scenario. You're talking in 2017 when he was drafted, 90% of the teams that Patrick Mahomes would have been drafted to, we would never be talking about Patrick Mahomes more than maybe we talk about Chase Daniels or or, uh, a backup quarterback like that just because he went to the perfect head coach to build an offense, to craft an offense around Patrick Mahomes. So people forget that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are a part of this whole situation. And unless... 
Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid are suddenly going to say, hey, we're going to take over the Titans job now and we're going to bring Patrick Mahomes. Or if all of a sudden Ryan Tannehill de-ages and turns into Patrick Mahomes, it's not going to happen. A top five quarterback coming in here, unless they trade up for Bryce Young, is not going to happen in the immediate future. And it's not fair to Ryan Tannehill to compare what he can and can't do on two bum ankles behind this shitty offensive line. Listen, the Chiefs offensive line has is downgraded as well. The pass catchers are 100 times better than what they have currently at the Tennessee Titans, which is proven every other week. And expect him to elevate and be Patrick Mahomes level every week. It's just not going to happen. It's not a realistic thing. And it's just like you're just hating to hate at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it is ridiculous to just say, well, look, here, here's the best quarterback in the NFL, the best quarterback of his generation, making a ridiculous play. Well, why can't Tannehill do that? He's Ryan Tannehill. Like, nobody's ever said he's the best quarterback in the league or an elite quarterback or that the Titans should be, like, you know, just over the moon about having uh, you know, him over everyone else. Like, that, that's not what anyone's saying. But there is like, you know, and look, to some degree, like nuance is just totally lost on, uh, you know, this entire fan base and really the sports world in general. Um, but Tannehill can both be not a trash bag as a quarterback and not be Patrick Mahomes. Like there is a big middle ground uh, that, that is where he lives and he is a good quarterback. He is above average. And I think when you give him a, a really good supporting cast, like what we saw in 2019 and 2020, um, when he had AJ Brown, he had Corey Davis, he had John U. Smith, he had a good offensive line and he had prime Derrick Henry. He can put up really good stats and kind of keep you in games with the best of the, these guys going. I mean, he, he beat Mahomes head to head. He beat Allen head to head. Um, he's beaten these guys before, and it's not like they had killer defenses in, in 19 and 20 either. So I don't think he is as good as those guys. Like, he clearly is not. But taking him and putting all this blame on him when the tr- the situation around him is you've got the worst offensive line in the NFL as far as pass protection. Doesn't, doesn't matter what metric you want to look at. They are the worst. It is an objective fact this is the worst pass blocking offensive line in the league period. He has zero NFL level wide receivers. Like Robert Woods, bless him. Uh, is just not what he used to be. And he's, he's a zone guy only. He needs somebody to be the one uh, and to force coverage or dictate coverage so that he can kind of like do what he does, which is basically just kind of work his way in those intermediate zones and sit down and, and catch passes. Besides, I mean, Nick Westbrook-Akina, Robert, or Chris Conley, like, these guys are not NFL level receivers. So, when Burks has been on the field, obviously Tannehill's production has been a lot better. Um, don't think that's a coincidence. So, it it's hard for me to sit here and go, oh, look at this one play that, that Mahomes made, and this is why Tannehill sucks. Like, that, that is not... It's just utterly ridiculous. This makes no sense. It, and, it, it, it's it's just as bad to me that after the Brock Purdy, you know, wins another game, you see people on Titans Twitter saying, oh, man, you know, maybe we just trade Ryan Tannehill to them and we get Brock Purdy. Like, and Brock Purdy here 
would be winning games where Ryan Tannehill is not. Hello, are we totally forgetting who his coach is and the offensive level of talent around him? Yeah, he, has, he has Trent Williams, not not Dennis <laughs> Daly. He has Christian McCaffrey. He has Debo Samuel. He has Brandon Ayuk. He has George Kittle. Like this is like a all star team. He got dumped in the middle of on offense. And can we not? And can we not have revisionist history? C.J. Beathard, Nick Mullins were all guys that started off really hot for the San Francisco 49ers, and they all flamed out. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Brock Purdy, but he was a seventh-round draft pick. He was Mr. Irrelevant, wasn't he? I mean, like, at this point, get your heads out of your asses. Kyle Shanahan would take his own family and dump them in a vat of acid right now if he could get rid of Brock Purdy and have Ryan Tannehill. No doubt in my mind. And you know why? Because he himself knows that Ryan Tannehill in that offense, he's first off seen it with Arthur Smith, which I think is a closer example to Kyle Shanahan. Nowhere near the same, by the way. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's going to take him, a better version of Jimmy Garoppolo that he almost won the Super Bowl with, and he's going to say, we're hosting, uh, uh, we're hoisting up the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the year because we have Ryan Tannehill. We have a competent quarterback. Do not sit there and try to tell me that Kyle Shanahan is going to say, no, we're definitely keeping Brock Purdy over Ryan Tannehill if we had the choice. Give me a fucking break. And unless Brock Purdy's bringing Kyle Shanahan with him to the Tennessee Titans, you're talking about like possibly an 0-17 or 0-17 Tennessee Titans team if you started with the whole year with the mess that he's had to, with the Ryan Tannehill's had to go through. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, and I've I've been talking about this for weeks now. People act like Tannehill would have no market in the offseason if the Titans decided to trade him. He would absolutely have a market. Do you think a team like the Jets, who have you know Mike White and you know Zach Wilson over there just who by the it, way, when Mike White won AFC Offensive Player of the Year, FedEx Player of the Year, whatever, the week, the week yeah. that he went off and got the first start, 5.8 yards per attempt. But nobody talks about that just because it's Mike White, it's not Zach Wilson. Yeah. If you dumped Ryan Tannehill onto the Jets, they'd be a zero-doubt playoff team next year. Zero doubt about it. Same thing goes for the Commanders. Same thing goes for the Giants. Um, there, there's probably a couple other teams. I think the Panthers are probably a playoff team with him. Um, the Falcons? Yeah, the Falcons are probably a playoff team. So I think any of those teams would be more than willing to part with you know a third or fourth round pick or whatever for Tannehill this offseason. Maybe more. I, I don't know. Um, and use his, uh, he's got a $27 million, you know, non-guaranteed salary next year, which is all that the team trading for him would inherit. Um, and they could easily restructure that and extend him to knock that cap hit down and put him under control for a few more years. Teams would love to do that. That is going to be a better option than almost anything else that's on the table, uh, for a lot of those teams. So I 100% think Ryan Tannehill will have a trade market this offseason if the Titans decided they were ready to like rip the bandaid off and move on. And by the way, if they do move Tannehill, it is because they are ready to rebuild rebuild. and stink. Yeah, it is a complete rebuild. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, listen, for all that we talked about the offense not living up to its expectations, Ryan Tannehill has done everything within his power, within his talent to keep this team afloat and to keep this team trying to score points and trying to keep this team going down the field. And if you take Ryan Tannehill away from this team this year and 
let's say you even started Malik Willis, who uh, all 16 or 17 games because Ryan Tannehill got injured or Ryan Tannehill got traded. It's a lot grimmer outlook for, except for that maybe you're getting a better draft pick. Like maybe that's the the key in this conversation is that Ryan Tannehill is good enough that you're never going to get an elite quarterback. And maybe that's why they should really trade him ultimately to look ahead to 2024, 2025 with, and let roll with Malik Wilson. If he worst, best case scenario, he's Patrick Mahone. Worst case scenario, he's Jamarcus Russell and you're getting another quarterback the next year. Yeah. Maybe and, maybe that's the way to look at it. And I have to do this out there on a, a football show on Monday. That look, it, that is a possibility, right? That they trade Tannehill and they say, "All right, we're going to take a one year trial on Malik Willis and see if he sinks or floats. And if he sinks, we'll just be in a great spot to draft, you know, Drake May or Caleb Williams or Quinn Ewers or whoever in what looks like a, a pretty good quarterback I class. Don't throw, in don't throw right Quinn now. Ewers in there for your Texas hey, alumni hey, status. Quinn, Quinn, Quinn uh, well, we'll see what happens with Quinn next year, but I'm, I'm expecting him to be pretty good. The, uh, you know, I guess that that's the thing is that everybody's trying to look for an immediate fix for the now in 2022. And guys, no, I, I hate no. to break it to you. It's too fucking late. <laughs> like, yeah. like anything that was supposed to happen should have happened when it, the, at the trade deadline. And we're, we're going to get into it. I'm going to keep bringing it up. I still think they should trade Derrick Henry when they have the chance. But look, look, putting Jerry Judy on this team wouldn't have made a damn bit no. of difference. Like, come on. And, and spare me. And I knew. And what's funny is that I wrote about this for my Zach attack on Saturday for BroadwaySportsMedia.com. And I talked about the narrative of pastor prime players. And of course, I bring up Golden Tate and Josh Gordon and people clamoring for them and them being failures. And so I made a cheat sheet for players next year. That way you, we could all just know that these players are not going to amount to anything and help this team. And who was on the list other than our recently cut friend who can't stay healthy, who can't find his way into an Aaron Rodgers football, thrown football, Sammy Watkins. And sure enough, what has happened is that everybody's like, you should be running to the waiver wire to click claim Sammy Watkins because, hey, while Ryan Tannehill's not Patrick Mahomes, he's apparently at least better than Aaron Rodgers, and he's going to get more out of Sammy Watkins in this fucking offense behind this offensive line more than Aaron Rodgers ever will. Like, there's, there's why? Nothing, there's I, nothing I, I should not fans. be surprised, but this is fucking ridiculous. There's nothing Titans fans love more than a receiver that was good in 2015. Um I mean, that, that is the last time Watkins had more than 673 yards in a season. I mean, come on. Like, what are we talking about here? That's not going to make a damn bit of difference. This is Josh Gordon warmed over. Like, microwave Josh Gordon. I, what are we talking about? Like, well, It's funny because everybody complains about the injuries, Mike. And what do they want? The One of the most injury-prone <laughs> wide receivers that I've ever seen in my life come here. And what's he going to do? Step off the plane in Nashville and tear his hamstring like right then and there when he gets a whiff? of the Tennessee weather and the, and here in uh, Nashville. I mean, like, give me a break. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get why. Okay. Well, they're playing Chris Conley. Okay. Well, they're playing Chris Conley a few snaps and he's getting a few targets, but really Sammy Watkins is getting, you know, similar target shares in green Bay and similar target uh, opportunities there. And he's done nothing with it. And I get that Chris Conley is not doing a lot, but at this point, if you're looking to salvage 2022, Sammy Watkins isn't the guy. 
the only receiver out there that could possibly salvage this 2022 season is Will Fuller. And we, we have no clue what is going on with Will Fuller from any NFL team. So at this point, I don't think he's signing with anybody. He's just probably staying healthy, getting healthy to make a comeback next year of some sort and take a cheap deal. OBJ, his medicals are so muddy. Like, there's no point in bringing him here. There's no point for a one-off playoff run to bring any wide receiver. There's no point to do that with any offensive line at this point. There is nobody coming to save this team from obscurity and heading into the 2023 season without a lot of issues. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is at this point because you're right. It's There's not a savior out there. The I'll tell you what the closest thing to a savior is for this Titan season. The one thing that could get them to the point where they are able to win a couple games down the stretch, get in the playoffs, and maybe make a team, you know, sweat for it uh, in the postseason. And that is getting healthy. That is getting Christian Fulton back, getting Danico Autry back, getting David Long Jr. back, getting Zach Cunningham back, getting Imani Hooker back, um, you know, getting uh, Traylon Burks back, hopefully getting uh, Dylan Radins back and playing at left tackle so that we can fire Dennis Daly into the sun finally. That is what could make this team at least competent. That That is the formula for, hey, can we get back to this defense just completely shutting people down again and, and making it to where the offense, all they have to do is score 20 points to win? Uh, can we get back to the defense creating turnovers and putting the offense in an advantageous, an advantageous position? Can we get back to Traylon Burks making a few explosive plays that turn into points every game? If they can get back to that, I still think this team could, like, they, could they beat the Ravens in the playoffs? Yes, they could beat the Ravens in the playoffs. Could they beat, you know, most of these wild card teams in the playoffs? Probably. Are they going to beat the Bills or the Chiefs? Yeah, they're not going to beat the Bills or the Chiefs. Um, you know, they're not going to beat the Bengals in the in the playoffs, I don't think. So, I think you could make things interesting in the playoffs if you get healthy. But that's yeah, it. The, that's, the savior is coming from within. It's not yeah. coming from the outside. And, and we've and, been saying if they get healthy all season long, yeah. by the way. Like, and it has not happened. And every time they get one guy back, three other guys go on, you know, the injury list. So it's. Well, at this point, I just question these people's ability to actually watch more than one team of football. Like, I, I don't think these people are watching anything other than Titans football. So all they see is, okay, these wide receivers suck. They don't see that all these other wide receivers that are getting cut the day of a football game, mind you, the Packers were playing that day and Sammy Watkins gets cut. It's ridiculous. And th these guys, they are getting cut this late in the season for a multitude of reasons. And more than likely, more often than not, 99% of the people getting cut right now are because they suck. And they're oh, wasting roster a roster space. And yeah. they do not are not bringing anything to the team. And just because Chris Conley sucks doesn't mean that Sam Lee Watkins is exponentially better because you're talking about a team in the Packers that has like Alan Lazard playing right now. And Alan Lazard hasn't really done a whole lot. You're, you're talking about they have decided to keep guys that you've never even heard of on this team. Um, and I'm, I mean, I look. Know. They're starting two rookie receivers with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, the guy who 
famously like does not like playing with rookies because he doesn't like the fact that you know those guys uh don't know his hand signals and shit like that um they're playing Romeo Dobbs. They're playing Christian Watkins. Samori uh, Toure, a 24-year-old wide receiver that probably none of you have heard of. Jawan Winfrey are both players they decided they would rather keep over Sammy Watkins. That's what you need to know. Yeah. Th- that's all you need to know. It's like the people clamoring for Tajay Sharp to come back, who's injured. We talked about this last week. You know, the... The these people got to start watching other teams and got to start using their common sense and say, man, say if you're telling me Sammy Watkins after a week or heading before week 15 is officially over the day that his team plays a game is getting cut. Hmm. I wonder why that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's just take a, take a beat and go, maybe this guy sucks. You know, I know I've heard of his name, but maybe this guy sucks now. Because a lot of the times that's true. Yeah, I, you would have thought Josh Gordon would have proven that to everybody, right? Yeah, that, like, you would have thought. You would have thought, but oh, this team, this Josh team, Gordon. it's just like the fa- the fan base is just like, well, if Chris Conley can have a roster spot, well, I recognize Sammy Watkins, so he is automatically better than Chris Conley, even though I have no evidence to suggest otherwise, other than the name and probably clips from like three years ago. Seven years ago. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Seven years ago. I mean, ultimately, that's where you're at, and it's just not happening. This wide receiver room's a mess, and I'm not saying that, you know, he's not maybe faster than Chris Conley, or he's maybe um, can run a better route than Racy McMath. It's just that by the time that he gets here, by the time, remember how long it took Golden Tate to even like sniff getting off the practice squad i mean like it took like two or three weeks it's not gonna matter sammy watkins is not gonna change anything about this team's passing attack about anything about this team's approach to the game anything about this team's philosophy anything about this team's offensive pass blocking he changes literally nothing for this team yeah i mean there's three weeks left in the season i mean look there is no like Point me to another guy who was signed with three weeks left in a team season that significantly changed that team's outcome of, of whatever, however their year was already going. I would almost guarantee you there's never been one. Um, so it is like, like OBJ because the Rams were always going to be probably they were considered Super Bowl contenders before he got signed and Super Bowl contenders after he got signed. Yeah. And that was that was a totally different situation. Yeah. Too. Um, so yeah, and even OBJ, like I, from what I've heard or what I've read, the medicals on him are so bad that it's like the Rams knew when they signed him last year that he was probably going to tear his knee at some point. They were just hoping he would get him far enough to to be able to get some use out of him before he did it, which you know he did obviously. Um, but that is that's why teams are not signing him right now, like. Two teams saw his medicals, the Cowboys and the Bills, and then went and signed other veteran receivers. Like they went and got, you know, scraped T.Y. Hilton, you know, out, out of the the dumpster and and Cole Beasley. Um, and we're like, hey, uh, maybe we'll just get these guys in here instead. So I if that tells you where where Odell is right now. Yeah. Moral of the story. If they're cut right now, they stink. And they <laughs> and they're gonna stink either just the same or worse and change nothing for this team. 
get over this idea that you have to have every wide receiver recognizable name that gets cut and you got to have them, got to get them changes everything for this team. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't change a fucking damn thing. No. And, and let's talk about one thing though, the one big thing versus the Texans. And it comes down to right now, Ryan Tannehill, I would say very doubtful that he plays on Sunday. However, We've seen Derrick Henry take over a game versus Texas already once this year. Now he's going to get him to play him against the second time with the same quarterback that they had in the first matchup, Malik Willis, more than likely. So my one big thing is, can the run Henry all game philosophy work for a second time this season against a Texans team that is playing quite differently than the Texans team that you saw at the beginning of the year? They are still losing but they are at least playing a little bit more, a lot more competitive football and complimentary football. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I do think the uh, run Henry, you know, constantly thing will probably be pretty effective again in this game um, because despite the fact that, uh, you know, Houston is still playing competitively and obviously, you know, took the Cowboys down to the wire and took the Chiefs down to the wire the last two weeks they're still giving up a ton of rushing yards. I mean, this team all season has two games where they've allowed less than 100 yards rushing. Um, and that was to the Chargers, who have zero interest in running the football, and the Dolphins, who also have zero interest in running the football. Basically, if you want to run on this team, you can. Um, the Chiefs, who don't really have a ton of interest in running the, the ball, rushed for 189 yards against them last week. So, yes, you will be able to run the football. They don't have the personnel to stop Derrick Henry, um, even with a trash can offensive line. So I think they'll be able to run the ball well. I think the question will come down to, is the defense healthy enough? Because, like, Davis Mills has been playing pretty good the last couple games. Um, and, and this Texans offense has, you know, obviously shown some Without some Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins. Right, right. So it's – and, look, part of the – game last week against the chiefs was, you know, kind of fluky um, with the, the turnovers and stuff. But I do think this Texans team is spicy enough to beat a very, very wounded, very, very demoralized Titans team. However, it's, it's going to be, um, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. It, I think it's going to be a tough game because they clearly have not quit. Um, you know, despite the fact that they're almost, almost guaranteed to be penciled into the number one pick at this point. Um, so it's, uh, it's an interesting matchup. I, I do. I'm one thing I am excited about. I want to see Malik Willis with Traylon Burks on the field at the same time and just see what that might look like. I, I don't know if it'll be good or if it'll be just infuriating because Willis just overthrows Burks open, you know, three or four times or whatever. Um, but I'm interested to see what that looks like because the first two games that he started, he didn't really have, like we said, any, any NFL receivers on the field uh, with him. So now he'll have one, assuming Burks gets cleared, which the all season, the concussion protocol with the Titans has been two games. So, you know, basically you get a concussion one week, you're out two games. Um, so Burks, it's not a guarantee he returns. Obviously, he still has to clear the protocol this week, but it seems pretty. Like he'll have a pretty decent. Rabel's comments Wednesday makes you tend to believe yeah. that he'll be back. Yeah, he kind of hinted that they they he'd probably do something today, which is Tuesday, 
um, which would give him a decent chance to play on Saturday. All right. Well, that will do it for us. You know, the Texans game is on Christmas Eve. Don't let it ruin your holidays. I wouldn't even put get on the phone. Just put your phone away and TiVo the game. Just watch it, you know, on the 26th or something. <laughs> because will, will this be the least, the worst rated, worst attended Titans game of the last, let's say, since 2015? Well, let me say something about that because I've seen a lot of uh, the the fans starting to shame other fans for not wanting to come to the game where it's going to feel like it's five degrees. Fuck that. <laughs> Listen, n- I wouldn't do not care if anybody shows up to the game. I know the Titans do, and I know a certain section of fans who think that their lives depend on other fans showing up, I guess, do. Maybe it's money in their pocket. This team does not deserve you sitting out there and putting and having to sit through what feels like five-degree football weather to watch Derrick Henry run it 40 fucking times. Like... I'm sorry, and and I'm just I guess I'm just a little bit more pragmatic than uh, as a fan, but I, I, you know this through thick and thin, and you can only be a good fan if you go to every game and you attend every game and you pay money to go to every game it is, is is a ridiculous notion to me, because you could be a good fan and you could live in California, because by God, if you were raised in California and you're somehow a Titans fan and not a Chargers or Rams fan. Your your parents need to be locked up for child services. I'll tell you a funny story. So I was in Memphis this past weekend, and uh, one of my friend, my a uh, couple friends that are married, that one the husband's a Buffalo Bills fan, and the wife is a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And so I asked, yeah, they have a child. He's uh, I think seven. And so I asked, um, so who is um, your son going to root for if the Bills and the Eagles play in the Super Bowl? And they go, well, he's not a fan of either team. I go, who's he a fan of? And he goes, they go, the Tennessee Titans. And I go, I'm calling child services. <laughs> I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? Why have you decided to raise your child so horribly? This is egregious. He could be rooting for Josh Allen. He could be rooting for Jalen Hurts. He could be watching A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs. And you're making him or letting him. Now, they're not even making him. It's his decision. He's seven. He should not be making his own decisions. It's egregious. And I, I am, I am, it, it, it rocks me to my core. Here's what I would say to anybody that is a 14 year old that happens to stumble on this podcast find another team. Because at 14, <laughs> at 14, this is your, this is when your brain clings to things that shape your life. The music you listen to when you're 14, it's been psychologically proven, is going to be the kind of music that you listen to when you're older. So, you know, I listen to, you know, the Spice Girls are big, Christian Aguilera, you know, uh, Foo Fighters. Of course, I'm still listening to Foo Fighters, but that's why I like Lizzo and, you know, Lennis Morissette. That's why I like, you know, uh, I, I, I'm comfortable wearing a pink shirt and going out and watching Lizzo and uh, another rap artist that her name escapes me and not giving a fuck. Like Adele. I'll blast some Adele, some Taylor Swift. I don't give a shit. But that's because I listened to 14. Save your children. Right now, buy yourself some time and let them become and be happy for the rest of their lives and choose a different team. <laughs> I, I, Dom will, will be brought up as a Titans fan. Um, uh, and I do say, I will say that I do think whenever the Titans do break through, it'll make it that much sweeter for those who, you know, suffered through all of this because it has been 
an emotional beating for what 25 years almost uh with this franchise since it moved to nashville and and obviously there's a lot of fans that go back to the oilers days who got a lot of emotional beatings from this team in those years too so this franchise has not been um you know able to win a championship at the nfl level at despite being in existence since 1970 in this league um so it is um yeah, it, it's it's going to at some point break, right? At some point in my lifetime, the Titans have to win a Super Bowl. Um, I, God, yeah, it would be really devastating Do they have to? if they didn't. Do they have to? I feel like they there's a couple know. of other franchises that have been sticking around that probably have fans saying the same thing. That's true. Just raise That's your true. children better. It's Christmas. <laughs> don't Don't give them a Titans ticket or Titans jersey or football or something in their stocking from Santa because then they're going to grow up to hate Santa and they're going to grow up to hate you. <laughs> Moral of the story. And don't shame fans who don't want to go and sit out in five degree weather and say that they're not true fans. You know what they are? They're smart fans. <laughs> that's what they are. That's, that's the difference. They're the same level of fandom as you. They just are smart enough to know to, that sitting out in five degree weather will provide them no joy in life. I mean, yeah, it, I do think the odds of, of you going to this game, even if the Titans win and going, man, well, I'm so <laughs> glad I went, <laughs> are pretty low. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe maybe Traylon Burks has like a 300-yard game or something like that. Yeah, that would be that would have to be a thing, right? Malik Willis throws for 400 yards and 300 of that, or let's say 400 <laughs> yards, 200 to Burks, 200 to Chig. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then, then, then you can maybe, say, yeah, maybe. say, see, I told you you should have came because I'm a loyal <laughs> fan. And I knew this was going to happen, even though you had no clue it was ever going to happen. That has been it for Football No Efforts. Hope everybody has a merry fucking holidays. <laughs> uh, my name is Zach Glad. You follow me on Twitter at EffortsPod. He's Mike Kernan. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Kernan NFL. You can read his uh, writings over at Polkarski.com. You can read my writings over at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. And, of course, on Thursday, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, uh, will be a football show this week when I will be back. Uh, Mike, thank you for filling in. It was a good show. I listened to it. Uh, have a lot of thoughts on Trevor Lawrence and how he's just a little bit better Blake Bortles, but that's for the football show. Um, the uh, We're sponsored by Jaspers in Nashville. Two for one on Sundays. Probably a great place to go and get away from your family for the holidays, even if it's not on Sunday, just because they have great food, great drinks, and TVs everywhere. You can watch all your sports moments without having your crazy uncle talking your head off about politics. So head over to Jasper's, the next evolution of sports bar. This has been Football Under the F-Words, and you have just been F. A Broadway Sports Media Production.